This morning we're going to be doing something slightly different. Some of you will be relieved that it won't be all me talking. <laughs> and uh, what we're going to do, though, is we're going to have three guys who are on staff here at Trent just share a bit of their story. And uh, really the focus of this is not that we're trying to say everybody should be on the staff of a church. But it's the fact that they've made choices and sacrifices um, as they've pursued God's call on their life. And I'm hoping it'll be encouraging and challenging for us all because it might be in our families or in our workplace or maybe if you're in your place of study. Whatever aspect of our lives, we find Jesus sort of asking us to make choices and sacrifices so that people who don't know him can come to know him. Uh, that's the heartbeat behind this. And uh, I've been reading Philippians, and I really just want to quote one verse at the beginning. But before I do that, I want to tantalize you um, this week, because you might, it might be worth you reading the book of Philippians. I didn't know that scripture was going to come up that was up for worship, but that sort of confirmed it to me. You see, there's four chapters, and the first one really is Paul, who's in prison, doing a team talk to the church, in, to the Philippians, to that church. And in a sense, I felt God was wanting us to realize that, yes, we were a team as a church. And then the second chapter is all about being part of the family, knowing that we can only be part of that team if we really truly understand that, first and foremost, we're a child of God, a child of his family. And then the third chapter is all about, you know, what we're called to, the purpose, uh, and how to persevere. It's quite exciting. And then finally, it's about rejoicing. And, um, and you know, coming from a guy who's locked up in prison, it's always a challenge. So I hope that you do embrace that challenge of uh, looking at Philippians. Let me read the verse, and then we'll welcome up, up uh, Rich Bolton, who's coming up first. So this is Philippians chapter 1, just verse um, 3 to 5. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing. And here's the punchline, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that, uh, that we're your team and we're your family and you've called us to a purpose and you challenge us to rejoice in all circumstances. And uh, Lord, just bless these guys as they come up and share their story and give them real freedom and open our hearts and minds to hear what you're saying today, Lord. Amen. Rich, where are you? <laughs> Where is he? Thanks, Tom. Right, good morning, everyone. Oh, very welcoming. That's brilliant. Uh, my name's Rich, as Tom said. Um, when we first did this talk back in December, Tom billed it as the three wise men. Uh, I'm not quite sure how I ended up on the stage as a result of that, but it, it's, really, it's a real privilege for me uh, to get to share some of my story with you this morning. Um, so just a little bit about me as an introduction, uh, I'm 28, I'm married to the wonderful Ruth, we've been married for, for nearly four years, it's actually our four year anniversary this coming Friday, 
so if you see me on Thursday, maybe just give me a nudge, make sure I've got the flowers in. That'd be really helpful. Um, and we've also got a son. We have a little three-month-old son, Caleb, uh, nearly four months actually now. Um, and he's just a wonderful addition to our family. He's not quite old enough yet to understand all of Daddy's kind of witty banter. Um, but as I was saying to him last night, that does mean that he's got a lot to look forward to. So, um, so I thought a, bit, a good place to start would be to explain a little bit about uh, what I do on staff here. Um, so most of my focus is on the Compassion Ministries, which is what we call our work that serves people in need. So I'm the pastoral link for most of the partner charities that we work with, the debt advice center that we run, Nottingham Nightstop, which is a charity that houses homeless young people in volunteers' homes, to name just a couple. Uh, I'm, I also oversee the soup run and the work we do in prisons. And then I spend a good chunk of my week in the Arches Project, which uh, if you don't know what that is, it's the building next door, next to the youth center. It's our kind of biggest compassion ministry, and it gives out uh, furniture and household items to people in need around the city. And then alongside that, we get a whole bunch of visitors who come to us for community. And that's my main focus there, is on developing community, welcoming people in. And, uh, and for me, being involved in Compassion makes a lot of sense, because it's something that's, that's always been on my heart. God put it on my heart from a very young age. Um, when I became a Christian as a young teenager, it was because I'd fallen in love with Jesus. You know, I hadn't got my head around the whole Christianity thing yet, but I knew that I wanted to follow Jesus. And as I grew up and tried to figure out what it meant to follow Jesus and how to kind of live out his teachings, I, uh, I encountered a bit of a dilemma. You see, um, when I read the Gospels, which are the books of the Bible that tell us about Jesus, um, I, it's very obvious to me, it's very apparent that Jesus spent a lot of his time out and about. He spent a lot of his time out in the community, meeting people from all walks of life. And he spent a lot of his time with people that society at the time didn't deem very worthy of his attention, people like lepers and tax collectors. Um, and so I had this dilemma because the church that I was in at the time was a lovely church full of wonderful people, but we never did anything outside of the building. Um, we were there kind of doing our thing, you know, we were uh, there worshiping God and people were walking past outside and it didn't matter to them what we were doing. It, it wasn't relevant to their lives. And I just, I couldn't add that up with this picture of Jesus that I'd, you know, the Jesus that I'd fallen in love with. So, uh, so fast forward a few years, I'm at Nottingham University, and uh, a friend of mine told me about this thing called the Student Soup Run, which is basically a bunch of students who go out and give out food and hot drinks to homeless people and people in need in the city centre. And for me, this was just a massive revelation, you know, Christians that were actually out doing stuff, Christians that were out making a difference in their community, Christians that were doing the kinds of things that I'd always wanted to do but didn't know kind of where to start on my own. Um, and so, as you can imagine, I got heavily involved pretty quickly, and, uh, and I just loved every minute of it. I mean, it was hard work, and uh, I was out of my comfort zone a lot of the time, but I met Jesus in the faces of the people that I was serving, time and time again, and he broke my heart for, for the guys that I met. And I found the purpose that Jesus had set aside for me. And not only did I find purpose, but I found that God changed me through that, and is still changing me through being involved in, in compassion. I remember sitting down and, and praying uh, and thanking God for my bed for the very first time because I was suddenly acutely aware that there were people in my city that didn't have a bed. And I remember thanking God for my parents for the fact that I got to grow up in a, in a loving and stable home because for the first time again, I was acutely aware that, that for a lot of people, that, that wasn't the norm. 
And, and so after a while being involved in the Soup Run, I learned that alongside the student group that were doing it, there were also um, churches that were doing Soup Runs. And so I wanted to go to a church like that. And so I came along to Trent, struggling on a piece of paper here. Um, so I came along to Trent about eight years ago and uh, I joined a soup, uh, small group and then I joined the Soup Run team and, uh, and I've been here ever since. And at the end of my studies, I got a job as a nurse. That's what I trained to do. And then, but alongside that, I also did um, the discipleship year here, which for those of you who don't know, it's like a voluntary internship year that takes, involves giving two days a week to the church um, to serve the church, basically. And for me, that was just a really formative year. It did involve sacrifice. It involved you know, only working part-time, which wasn't an easy thing to find, um, first of all. But, um, but it was such a formative year. I made some amazing friends. Uh, I, had a lot, I learned a lot about myself. I actually met my wife that year at a compassion event. So if anyone's thinking about getting involved in compassion, it's an extra little incentive. Um, and at the end of that year, church offered me a job. And, and by then, for me, it was a no-brainer because I'd seen the value of what church did, and I was hooked. Nowadays, um, I'm full-time. I'm not a nurse anymore. And, uh, and I have to say, that was, it's a wonderful profession. I loved being a nurse. But when the opportunity to go full-time here came along... As Tom mentioned, it did involve sacrifice, but it was an easy decision for me because I knew this is what I was called to do. And so it, was, it, it turned out to be a fairly simple decision. Um, you, you probably heard us mention this before from the stage, but just before Christmas, we had the immense privilege at the Arches of being able to host the, uh, the first bunch of Syrian refugees that arrived as part of the 20,000 that the government have um, committed to taking. Um, and it was just such a privilege to be able to welcome them and to, to tell them we were glad that they were here. Um, and for me, not only was it a privilege to be involved on a personal level, to have my family there, I'm going to get to tell Caleb that story that he was there when he grows up, but it was also a privilege to see the church come together and step into its mission of welcoming in the stranger, of serving those in need. And that's why I do what I do. That's why I made this choice, because I believe the church should be active. I believe the church should be relevant and uh, outgoing. Church that only exists for those already in is not the fullness and richness of what the church should be. That's worth a tweet, right, if anyone's going to... Um, I'll just say it again. Um, church that only exists for those already in is not the fullness and richness of what church should be. There's a book in the Bible called James, and uh, in chapter 2, verses 14 to 16, it says this. It says, What good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well, feed and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? The message of Jesus is not good intentions with no follow-up. It's not an insider's club. It is love lived out for all those it encounters. John Wright actually mentioned uh, this quote I'm about to give uh, in a talk a few weeks ago, but um, I, I love it, so I hope you don't mind me repeating it. It's actually from the 4th century AD, and it's uh, from the, the Roman emperor at the time. His name was Julian. Uh, he made this complaint against the followers of Jesus, who were known as Galileans at the time. He said this, These irreverent Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well, while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. You don't get much more relevant than that. The early church could be relied on in a way that the Roman Empire couldn't be. Through the years that I've been involved with uh, compassion, I've seen God restore hope to the hopeless. 
we often talk about this regular encounter we have at the arches where someone comes in and they've got their, their eyes down. They can't give you eye contact. It's not easy to ask for help. It's not easy to be in a place where you need help. Um, and we get to see God transform them through the welcome and the love and the generosity that we get to offer on his behalf. And we get to see them walk out with their heads held high. This, um, this last year or so, I got to know a guy who uh, originally came to the arches for a tent because he was sleeping rough at the time. And we were able to help him out with a few bits. Uh, and when he got a flat, we were able to uh, help furnish the flats. Um, but even after he got all the kind of practical stuff that he needed, he kept coming back to the arches and kept coming to church because he realized that he needed more than just a tent. Earlier, well, it was last year now, but um, not so long ago, I actually had the privilege of praying with him as he gave his life to Jesus in this very room because he encountered more than just good intentions. He encountered a gospel that was relevant to him, that met him where he was at and met his needs. I'm just going to end with a quote. I, uh, I mentioned Muslim Nights Up earlier on, and uh, we had a young man that was being mentored on that program, and uh, we had a bit of a review meeting with him just to chat about how it was going. And, uh, and he said this, he said, actually, I don't think I need mentoring. I need what the church has to offer. Thanks for listening. Again, it's just a, a massive encouragement to hear some of those stories. And as Rich was talking, it just reminded me that um, we gave some money to a tear fund to go out to Nepal. And one of the fascinating stories that occurred there was that because we could get the money to the churches on the ground, they were able to respond after the earthquake and feed people. Um, of, of all different faiths and that was what impacted some of the priests some of the Buddhist priests came and observed that you're feeding us your God is feeding us where our God isn't so it's just so encouraging isn't it that God's got a mission for us to bless those that are not yet part of his family now where's Ben can I welcome Ben up onto the here we go Morning, everyone. Yeah, that's nice. That was good. Well done. Uh, my name is Ben, and I work on the Trent youth team, which I absolutely love. I love working with young people and teenagers most of the time, and uh, I love working with our incredible team because it really is an incredible team. If anyone is ever interested in getting involved in Trent Youth, you'd be most welcome. If you are interested now, come and talk to me at the end or go to the Connect area. Just going to get a shameless plug out there early on. Uh, but it's true. It's awesome. Just last summer, it was my immense privilege to say goodbye to a group of young men who had been in my youth small group for a number of years. And it was, it was incredible. In fact, we've got a picture of us at Soul Survivor. Here we are, a band of brothers. Uh, they used to come up to sort of shoulder height, and now some of them are taller than I am. Look at them, rugged and handsome. Uh, <laughs> they're off uh, universities and gap years and, and all sorts of things, but don't, don't let the, the, the stubble and the height fool you. They, they weren't quite as mature as they might have been. In fact, just the night before um, that photo was taken, it was, it, they turned up at Soul Survivor after um, 
being on a camping trip in Wales together, and they were on their way to Momentum, which is the sort of 20s and 30s thing down uh, a festival down south, all to be all cool and 20-something together. And they arrived on site, not having quite booked on to Soul Survivor properly, and I had to go and meet them there and negotiate their entry onto site in the pouring rain and the pitch black. And I'm not bitter in, in the slightest. You know, I feel, I feel great ab about that. But, but it, it was amazing to see those guys over the years, to see them grow, to see them develop, and to help them deal with some really big issues. We talked about, we talked about money, we talked about porn, drink, drugs, sexuality, at a time in their lives when all these things would seek to, to shape their, their, their lives at such an early stage. These are big things that we were dealing with. And in fact, I can remember um, one of the first sessions, small group sessions that I led with them. It was in uh, a series that we were doing on money, sex, and, and power. And I got sex. And uh, after a while, it was, it was affectionately dubbed Sex with Ben, um, which their parents were absolutely thrilled with. It was, it was great. There were some good, good conversations over dinner um, after that happened. But it, but it really was a privilege to, to help them engage with these, with these issues. And I, I managed to catch up with a few of them over Christmas, actually. Um, it's just, it's wonderful to, to see them thrive in different areas of life, but also to, to be there when they, when they make mistakes. And, and I just, it's something that I really, really enjoy. That's why I was, I was gutted last year when I realized that as they all moved on to university and things that I would this year have to take on a new year seven small group. Going from working with 18 year olds, having deep conversations about life and faith to uh, hanging out with a bunch of 11 year olds and talking about Pokemon. Um, but, but if I'm honest with you, this small group is amazing. I absolutely love it. And the, the guys are just, I am blessed, honestly. These guys are awesome. And I, I lead the group with two other leaders who are amazing as well. Um, we're already dealing with some, with some big issues of faith. In fact, the first thing that they wanted to study in the Bible was the book of Revelation, which was nice and light. And uh, we, we have a lot of silly, messy, crazy fun together. And it's also great seeing there's this innocent joy in, in young people that sometimes gets lost around the age of 14 and 15. But when they're 11, it's still like alive and well. And it's just, it's, it's wonderful to see. So I work two days a week for Trent Youth. And I do another three days a week for a consultancy firm. We do healthcare business management. And I work as a project manager for them. On the youth side of things, because that's what you're interested in, obviously. On the youth side of things, I get involved in lots and lots of everyday ministry stuff. I oversee our residential trips, like the weekend away and Soul Survivor and, and that sort of thing. And I also get to help run our national vineyard youth conference, youth festival called DTI, which I, I particularly love. Working on DTI is great because I get to do everything from working on like the big strategy and branding and, and that sort of side of things, but I also get to play silly games and make stupid videos and stuff, which is really fun. And um, if you want to see what I'm talking about, check out our YouTube channel, Vineyard DTI, little plug is again. Man, I am, I'm, I'm using this spotlight, aren't I, for just bigging up youth, but it's good. Um, I, I also love um, mixing and matching my working week, and, and I, love, I love the variety. 
and I love spending time with people who know and love Jesus, as well as those who don't yet. I love that. That's, that's a big part of it. Um, but at the same time, it, it can be quite uh, a challenge. Youth ministry devan- demands a lot of my time and energy, and that means I have less time and energy to spend elsewhere, whether that's on my job or with my family. But it's also, it's also quite difficult to progress in your career when you're working part-time. So it does present its challenges. And sometimes I think, how on earth did I end up doing what I'm doing? And I imagine that a lot of us here today, from time to time, will think, how on earth did I end up where I am now? And just briefly, for me, the, the journey started about five or six years ago when I went to a 20s and 30s conference called Retreat to Advance. Retreat to Advance. If, you, if you've heard of it, it it's, it's great. If you've never been before, I'd definitely recommend it. And I experienced the, the Holy Spirit there in a very powerful and profound way. My wife, Lindsay, and I went away feeling like God was calling us to more. And we weren't quite sure what that meant, more of what we were asking all these questions so we just spent a lot of time praying and thinking and and waiting and pushing some doors Um, and without going into all the details I felt like God wanted me to get back into youth ministry I'd taken a break after Lindsay and I started leading our adult small group taking a break for a couple of years and I got back involved in youth ministry I soon gave up two days a week to volunteer for the youth team and after a while they started paying me thanks Tom that was great Um, and eventually, I started working full-time, actually, for John and Debbie for a, for a season as their special assistant. Did that for about 18 months. After that time, um, it was pretty obvious that the role wasn't best suited to me. And it's great now because they've got, they've got two assistants. They've got a pastoral assistant and a special assistant who are incredible. Um, but, but a big part of that transition out of, out of that role was I was keen to spend more time with people that didn't know Jesus yet. And that's why I wanted to get back into the project management side of things. And here I am today. Now, this journey over the years has been, has been challenging. It has been stressful at times for my character, uh, my finances, my marriage. But the journey is bringing me closer to God. And it's helping me to become more like Jesus. I continue to lean on God for what my future holds and for wisdom in my working life. And... But the last three years have been particularly humbling and at times confusing. But the key thing is is that I know that God is faithful and he is good. Regardless of what happens, I know that he is faithful and he is good. And there's an analogy of building faith like a muscle as it's stretched and and strained. There's also an analogy of uh, faith being purified uh, like a precious metal in in fire as you strip away all the impurities. And in the case of the muscle, as you stretch and strain it, it it will build up, but you're going to end up with tears. That's that's the way it works. And in the case of the fire, you are, you're going to end up getting burnt from time to time. But in both cases, the finished product is, is more similar to what it was supposed to be. In the case of the muscle, it's stronger, it's more effective. And in the case of the precious metal, it is purer and more beautiful. And I feel like that's, that's a work that God is doing in me. And as I look back at the last few years and as I look forward to the future... I think to myself, where else would I rather be? 
Where else would I rather be than depending on God's strength every single day? And don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong. I look forward to the place of rest at the end of every tough period. But I know that each time I find myself in that place of rest after the challenging season, that I will be closer to God. Just a little bit closer every time. And that is exactly where I want to be. Again, it's so inspiring, isn't it, to, to see how God uh, is calling people like Ben to be both active in the church and also in the workplace, and that's relevant for so many of us. And just one little thought that was going through my mind, uh, it was something that was said last week, that for, for many of us, we want to be a source of light. We want to be people to see Jesus in us, in our everyday, ordinary lives. But the thing about a candle, in order to give light, it has to burn. And it was just a reminder that it's costly. It's costly for us to shine for Jesus. And, um, and just that encouragement that it's worth it. Now let's welcome up Will. Will Hallam. Morning. Oh, it does work, Ben. Um, when we first did this, we first did it on the 27th of December. If I'm honest, I kind of thought Tom had asked us to get out of writing a sermon over the festive period. I was suspicious. I know it's not true. It's just my skepticism. It's true, isn't it, Helen? Um, uh, so I thought, okay, it'll be fine. It's the evening service in between the festive period. 200 people, 300 tops. They'll never make us do it at a morning service. And yet here we are. So I had some helpful feedback after the 27th. And um, the overwhelming response I got was, though, are you really only 31? Um, which is very encouraging. Um, yes, I am in fact only 31. Um, so to proper introductions, I'm Will, I'm 31, believe it or not, and if you don't believe it, don't mention it. Um, I am married and I have um, two children, here they are, where are they? Tobias and Isla, looking all delicious. I don't know where she gets her confidence from, must be a mother. Um, <laughs> This was taken uh, last year at Tobias's first day of school, and like every image taken specifically to be uploaded to social media, the truth behind it is very different. This is actually how it looked. But yeah, so <laughs> that shot one. As you can see, they aren't quite as gentle as the final image portrays. She got a little bit angry as well as the next photo. <laughs> In the end, I had to use um, a change of location and bribery to get the all-important final perfect image. Incidentally, if you're new to parenting, please don't underestimate the power of bribery. It does not make you weaker. <laughs> you have to do absolutely everything you can to survive. <laughs> and you, you all know it. So behind whatever image we might portray, everyone has something else going on. So um, I'm going to share with you my story this morning. So I've been working here at Trent since 2009. I was on discipleship year back in 08-09. That is the year of all the cool kids, and don't let anyone tell you any different. I have actually, I have no idea how I ended up doing the year. Um, as years go, it was quite transformative. Not too much though. I like to think that I've managed to retain some of my more charming rough edges. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know what discipleship year is all about, mine and Rich's versions are probably quite different. Me and Rich Bolton could not be more polar opposite. So I'll tell you what I experienced at DY. Um, 
So basically, you serve the church, which means you give two days a week, mainly a Thursday and a Friday, as well as serving in lots of different areas on a Sunday. You help with midweek courses, and you're basically unpaid labor for all the big events. <laughs> more than that, though, more than that. Um, it is a year of wrestling the big stuff, uh, learning more about the kind of person that Jesus is calling you to be, and getting as far outside of your comfort zone as you possibly can. In retrospect, it doesn't sound that appealing, um, but it absolutely was. It was informative, transforming, and invaluable for me. So at the time of starting DY, I was living with my now wife in sin, um, which we addressed, of course. I moved in with my now mother-in-law, which everyone who's getting married should do. It was, it was a wonderful experience. <laughs> it really was. Like, I'd have toast and tea delivered to my door every morning. It was wonderful. Um, I was working a job that I wasn't particularly keen on. I like, really hated it. Um, and so I had to quit because I couldn't go part-time and ran out of money very, very quickly. I had to sell my car and just generally struggle through. It was less than ideal, um, but it was really the beginning for me of starting to grasp what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to really understand how you die to yourself, which is a strange concept to comprehend. Um, thankfully, Trent was on hand to help, and I got lots of sessional work, uh, helping on reception, helping with facilities, and in the conferencing department. And fast forward eight years later, and I oversee two areas. Um, first is trading, so that's conferencing in the cafe, and then also production and media, which includes film output and then all of our big events like the carol service. It's a really, really weird mix and actually quite a large undertaking. Explaining what I do for a living takes about 30 minutes, because as soon as you say to someone, I'm a trading and media production manager for a large church in Lenton, which incidentally is named after a winery, people are like, oh, <laughs> I think they're expecting I'll say teacher. Um, which I sometimes do to move the conversation along a little quicker. I don't. Um, <laughs> it's a small complaint, and thankfully, most of the time, I absolutely uh, love being here. If anything, it's a welcome break from the kids. I have the most incredible team, and they do such a good job of making me look like I know exactly what I'm doing. So I definitely count my blessings. I'm very, very fortunate. Prior to working here, my life was quite different. I used to work in TV. Um, before moving back to Nottingham from the southeast, I worked on a full-time on a then well-known chat show. It was so much fun. I so wish I could stay here and say working in TV and on that particular show was the worst thing for me. That I struggled daily with my sinful colleagues and the nature of what we were doing, but I didn't. I had a great time. <laughs> this environment, working here, being here on this stage, speaking to you now, is absolutely never what I had planned. Because unless you're brought up in a church environment, working for the church does not represent success to the world. Those outside of this world have some really understandable ideals about church workers wearing unattractive sock-sandal combos. If you're wearing socks and sandals today, I'm not judging you. It is February though, so you might want to rethink your wardrobe choices. I think as well, they think that I send out prayer memos, organize tumbolas and sort out bake sales which are all fine things. I don't do them though. Um, society calls for us to have the car, the money, the holidays, the bonuses, all of those things. So I absolutely wanted that. In addition, I'm not naturally overly compassionate, which sounds a little bit weird because we all want to be compassionate, but I do have to work at it. Um, let me elaborate a little bit. I think it's the fact that I'm not naturally overly compassionate, that this was never in my life plan, that it confirms me that I'm in the right place. Tom asked us to explain why we've chosen to serve Jesus in this way. And, and I, I can't think that I have necessarily chosen it. I do think that God has chosen it for me. And 
like a child who doesn't want to do what's right for them. I have kicked against it and screamed against it and pushed my way against him, but I'm still here. So what is it that keeps me here? It isn't the annual bonus and it isn't the company car. Um, what keeps me here is knowing that I'm part of something bigger, part of something bigger than my own ideals, my own thoughts, my own plans, my own dreams, my own ambitions. I'm keeping to his plan for me. And it doesn't always feel easy and it's stressful and it's frustrating, but that's okay because it isn't always going to go according to my set gender, to my set rules, which actually is the hardest thing for me to swallow. And it just so happens that I think being here is God's plan for me. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have the car, that you shouldn't have the holidays, that you shouldn't have the bonus. Absolutely, someone has to have them. It's fine. I'm not saying it's an issue. What I find amazing about being in this environment is the sheer number of life stories that surround us, each as unique, as important and as special as the next. You see, Jesus is in the business of changing lives and we absolutely see lives changed here in this environment. There are so many stories in and out of the church about incredible transformations, miraculous healings, legs growing, joints reshaping, lives turned upside down. And I love all of those, they're all incredible. But the stories that get me the most are the ones that we might not always shout about so much. They might appear small in comparison. We don't all get healed. Um, we talk in church about the now and the not yet, which is one of those Christian terms that we can sometimes throw around, um, a little bit like saying someone's churched or unchurched. Um, we talk about it without always thinking what it means. The now and the not yet is actually quite a difficult thing to comprehend, and as a human, it's hard to accept. The basic premise being that although we do live in God's kingdom, there is still more to come. We are yet to see the full glory of it. So that means that some legs are gonna grow and some legs aren't. It's not always easy to swallow. So although I was fortunate enough to be born with legs of equal length, I quite like them, um, I do have my own issues. By anyone's standards, I look healthy, but I do have two rather irritating organs. In 2012, I was diagnosed with an, a form of kidney disease, which basically means that my kidneys don't always work as they should, and that statistically, at some point, they're likely to cease and potentially give up. This diagnosis was made so much worse, so much worse by the fact that it came at, the, at a year-long battle to lose weight. I was a bigger boy, like seven stone bigger, and I literally worked my backside off for a year, like I have no backside. <laughs> like I have no backside. And the people were like, oh, you've been ill, that's why you've lost weight. No, that is not why I've lost weight. <laughs> I haven't eaten any food. Getting the diagnosis was horrendous. It was world-altering. It came at a time when my son was three and my daughter was one. My mind went crazy. I catastrophized. I was on a dialysis machine in my head. I'd booked my coffin. And the, <laughs> and the effects of that diagnosis, a kind of diagnosis that only happened to other people, it lingers in my life now. If I have a cold, I'm Googling the symptoms of nasal cancer. I've done it, genuinely. My life now is mapped and it's pinpointed by blood tests and hospital visits. I'm only ever as happy and as healthy as my last set of blood results. And I live in the knowledge that that could change tomorrow. Thankfully, so far things are good. And whilst I can't claim that I've seen miraculous healing, I haven't seen any downward trends. And thanks be to God, I continue to be healthy. So, you know, praise him for that. That one moment in my life, it changed everything. It impacted everything, how I saw the world, the whole deal, 
I had to adjust to a completely new way of thinking, had to deal with brand new emotions, brand new feelings, and I had to accept that others wouldn't necessarily make allowances for that, which actually can be the hardest thing for someone who's going through something to experience. At the same time, I started to ask questions about where God was in all of it. How was it fair? Why would it happen? Why me? All pretty standard things, I think, that people experience. I came to learn, though, that it wasn't fair, that it shouldn't happen, and that there's absolutely no reason that it's me. Bad things, unfortunately, do happen to good people. But I don't think these things are God's fault. And actually, in all of it, I can't ever really remember having a time of blaming him. As corny as it might sound, I'm coming to learn that we don't always understand why things happen the way they do. Maybe I will need an organ transplant. Maybe I will be healed. And I'll cross all those bridges as we come to them. This is a little bit like therapy. It was great. Um, so what's the point of me telling you all this? What's the point of me rambling? The point is that I think we all have at least one key moment where we could go either way. We could be furious with God. We could blame him. We could even turn away from him. Because life sometimes can be rubbish. Worse than rubbish, life can be shocking. <laughs> Checking you're awake. And you are. Um, for every perfect photo framed, for every edited image that we upload to Instagram, to Twitter, or if you're like me, slightly older, 31, to Facebook, there is another one right behind it telling that person's truth. What I see here are lots of ordinary people living their absolutely extraordinary lives. And I think over the years, I've become almost desensitized to the incredible stories that surround us here, all of you. The cancer survivors, those who have lost parents, partners, children even, those struggling with mental health conditions, MS, ME, heart conditions, lung conditions, divorce, separation, family turmoil. The list literally goes on and on and on. And whilst I can't know what's going on in all of those people's minds, They've all shown me what it means to have faith, what it means to rely on God and how to see the good in the things that feel bad. That has been the most inspiring part of my life here and I'm so thankful for it. It's taught me that we have to press into God further when things are tough and I've learned that that's the right thing for me to do. So I'm thankful for being here. I'm thankful that I've been surrounded by so many incredible people who have shown me what it means to live a life surrendered to Jesus show me in their normal ways as they approach their individual struggles with dignity and with grace, and sometimes without. They, some of you, have been the secret teachers, leading by example, showing us all how it's done. And that is one of the things I truly love about being in relationship with Jesus. Every story is as important as the last. Every person matters equally to him. He will not rate you, he will not rank you. He doesn't care about your perfect image. Your struggles are no less and your life is no less worthy. So if you're here today with something, whatever it is, I urge you to give it to him. Give it to Jesus. You might notice that every week during worship, we use an image in the centre screen with a lyric or a passage to reflect upon. And this one that's going to come up here is one of my favourites. Because I know it to be true. In this world you have trouble, but have heart. I have overcome the world. Thank you. Wow. Let's just take a moment just to receive what God's been saying through those three, three guys. I just want to briefly pray.
Lord Jesus, as you speak to our hearts and minds now, we just want to thank you for the encouragement that it's been to hear those stories. And Lord, we want to embrace the challenges that are from you. But we want to thank you in particular that you've made provision for us to be part of this incredible church, which is made up of people just quietly pursuing you in our ordinary everyday lives and just ask that you'd anoint us afresh to be inspired to follow you, to make those choices, to make those sacrifices. Fill us afresh with your spirit, Lord Jesus. I just want to highlight one last thing and then we'll go into ministry. And that part of the reason to ask them to share their stories and what they're doing and why they're doing it was to highlight that the choices and the sacrifices that, that we are all called to make. But there's a reason behind that. Because God has a purpose. And, uh, and it's amazing how important purpose is. Just a couple of things here. A purpose will motivate us. It will help us get our priorities straight. A purpose, God's purpose, helps us develop into our full potential. And each one of those guys, I've just watched them grow, develop. They're incredible. It's incredible what God has been doing in them. And a purpose will give us power to live life in the present as children of God. And it will also help us evaluate our progress. 